Go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. As it is Communion Sunday, I've made another attempt to uh, shorten this. You know my success rate on shortening. <laughs> it's a relative term. But anyway, um, but I say that because it, it, this is really such a great passage, such a loaded passage, as so much of John is. And um, we will uh, try to open our ears and hearts to receive what God has for us in it. I've titled the message Testifying to the Truth from John 18 verses 28 through 40. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as we just give reverence to the Word of God and attune our ears and hearts to His voice in it. Reading out of the English Standard Version, hear the Word of the Lord. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered him, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release you to you, the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we open the scriptures now as always with the conviction that this is the word of the Lord and that you have something to say to us in it. We acknowledge, Lord, that we often have stopped up ears, distracted minds that would prohibit us from hearing your voice in the scriptures. But God, we open our ears now and our hearts to receive what you have for us. And so we ask you to speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your 
instrument today to communicate to your people in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, hopefully uh, many of you got the newsletter this week and um, saw in there a little article I had. It was sort of a sermon teaser. And uh, hopefully you read all the way to the bottom so that you knew it was a teaser. Uh, and when you, when the, the first sentence or so may, may have uh, provoked you a little bit, that was its uh, intention. It was a little, it was just shameless clickbait, as they say. Um, but, to, but to tee up this message again of so much going on, like we saw last week, of, of uh, you, you, you had the heart of man expressed um, in the arrest, betrayal and arrest of Jesus, where you had uh, Judas... Um, a betrayer, the Ju- Judas sort of expressing the wicked heart of, a, of betrayal. And then you had hostility in the part of the Jewish leaders and then denial on the part of one of his closest friends. So you have the, that human heart on display. We see sort of another expression of that um, this morning in this passage of just the, the heart of man uh, pointed in um, adverse directions to the very nature and the will of Jesus. But um, I want to try to focus our attention today, again, given uh, somewhat limited time here. I want to focus our thoughts here on uh, really one particular point I put here on a slide. The ones, I don't have an outline to show you today or anything. The sermon in a nutshell, here's the, here's the points that I'm really trying to draw out of this passage um, is that, or the application, uh, that, that man's fundamental problem is that we believe lies which serve our own self-interests. And secondly, that Jesus came to realign mankind and all of creation with the truth. Our, our fundamental problem at root, a human problem, a sort of cosmic, if you will, problem, sort of the whole scheme of creation, all things visible and invisible, our problem is that we believe lies which serve our own interests. And Jesus came to realign all of creation with the truth rather than lies. So occasionally, somebody may have uh, found a job or a service opportunity or recreational activity that they feel perfectly suited for. It's not true of everybody. It's probably not true of most people that they would say that about um, you know, the, the, the way they spend their time, their life, or whatever. But sometimes people find something that they're just perfectly suited for. It seems like they were just fashioned for that purpose, that job or that um, volunteer opportunity or whatever. And so they might say, I was born for this. You've maybe heard that expression. It's, uh, you know, somewhat popular these days. Matter of fact, I saw that there's even a Toyota Tundra ad campaign. Born for this. Toyota riding through the mountains and through the mud and, uh, you know, through the, all these wild places and on the beach and all that kind of stuff, of course, with a happy family smiling inside, as always. Um, but it, it, it drive through all these scenes and it says, Born for this, the Toyota Tundra, you know. But that's, the, that's what it conveys is a sense that it's just perfectly suited for this purpose. Well, Jesus makes a statement 
of that sort here in John 18. You may have caught it as we were reading, but it doesn't say, he doesn't say what most of us would expect him to say. If, he, if, we, were Jesus, if we were expecting Jesus to make a born, a born for this kind of statement, uh, what would we anticipate he would say he was born for? The first thing many of us would think of would be, would be that Jesus was born to save us from our sins or pay the penalty for our sins. And that is true, but it's incomplete in a sense. His purpose on earth was actually multifaceted. I mean, in other words, to, to describe why he came, you sort of have to speak to uh, a variety of things. And we could think of scriptures that speak to a variety of purposes like that. But here on trial, before Pilate, he made this statement in verse 37. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. I don't know if you've heard that before, picked up on that before. Some of you may have participated in the Truth Project. Dale Tackett did some years ago, a little study, a worldview study of sorts. And he kind of begins at this point. But otherwise, you, this just may not have stood out to you. And you probably wouldn't think of summarizing the mission of Jesus in quite that way. Jesus says, I was born for this, to testify to the truth. What an intriguing way to summarize the purpose of Christ's incarnation. Are you intrigued? Is it too early to intrigue you? <laughs> what an intriguing way to summarize it. I was born for this, Jesus said. To bear witness to the truth. Because here's the larger reality. Because he did come to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, to save us from our sins, and to uh, redeem all that was lost through sin. But here's the truth, that sin entered creation, and creation fell into disrepair because of lies. I actually, I wish that I could unpack this at more length today. I'm planning on maybe doing a short series at the start of the year where we'll look some at God's good plan um, in the beginning. But in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall. The fall of man, and again, this, in a sense, the fall of all creation. When, when, when a good creation went bad, and it, it fell into disrepair because of lies that Adam and Eve believed and acted upon. And here's the summary of that. Uh, that the, the, the Satan came and deceived the woman about the character of God. She believed a lie about the character of God, about herself, about what was good for her. And about the trustworthiness and authority of his revelation to speak truth about all those matters. You could go back and read uh, the beginning of Genesis 3 to see what I'm referring to there. But you remember some of the things. Did God really say 
you'll die, you'll not surely die. God knows if you eat the fruit, you'll be like him. And then the woman saw that it was good for food and that it was good to make her wise. It was neither good for her nor did it make her wise. It gave her knowledge she didn't have. She became a fool, not a wise person. But see, she believed the lie. This implication that he made, that he sort of, the doubt he deposited in her mind and heart about the very character of God and about herself in a relationship to him and what was good for her. She believed it. Adam believed her or just didn't ask any questions. I'm not sure I can make sense of Adam in that story right there. But, but anyway, that was what led to that original sin and all of creation and mankind most especially fell because of it. So our, our fundamental, when I say man's fundamental problem is believing lies, I'm going back even to the very root of sin itself was about believing a lie about the character of God, about ourselves, about what's good for us and about the trustworthiness of God's revelation to tell us. He has told us something about his character and about who we are and about what's good for us. And do we regard his word as being trustworthy and reliable to actually speak clarity to that? They did not, and we don't either. We as a species, and very often we even as Christians struggle with the same thing. Our fundamental problem continues to be that we believe the same kind of lies and live by them to one degree or another. That's a huge, that continues to be the human problem. In some cases, we're deceived. In other cases, we deceive ourselves. Right? I don't know if you know yourself well enough. I'm certainly not asking you to admit it out loud in front of all these people. But sometimes we want to be deceived. We want to tell ourselves lies that would justify our seeking our own self-interest. Sometimes we're legitimately deceived. Other times we deceived ourselves. Sometimes we just don't want to know the truth and so we don't seek it. Because sin leaves us seeking pleasure or power or other self-interests. We define for ourselves what is good for us. Or we let other voices define it and then we pursue those things. People spend their whole lives pursuing as good what God says is not good for them. And we can look around in our culture right now and see just undeniable evidence of that, of that fact. I mean, again, you see, you see a, a civilization... A, a civilization, Western civilization, really unraveling, having decided that God is not who the Bible says he is, that uh, the, the, the Bible doesn't speak clearly about anything of significance to them, that they are who they say they are as people, 
and that I'll determine for myself what's good for me. I mean, we are seeing the first fruits of that sort of pursuit in life. Self-definition of who we are. Self-determination about what's good for us. Self-determination about what authority is going to tell us those things. We see it on display now, but again, we don't really have to look outside the culture if we'll look introspectively some, and I apologize for fiddling with this thing that is just annoying the daylights out of me. But we, yeah, we don't have to look at others. So we, we, we really, is, this is a human problem. We have this problem all the time where we are seeking pleasures that we have decided or that we believe are good for us. Good in the ways we've defined it. Or we, and part of us knows they're not good for us, but we want to talk ourselves into believing that they are. We're going to pursue them anyway. But we see examples of that in the Jewish leaders and in Pilate in this story. So you have Jesus, who is himself the truth, right? He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is himself the truth. He came for the purpose of testifying to the truth. And he is the one on his way to execution at the hands of two people who want, or two groups of people, at least, who want nothing to do with the truth. And there's a snapshot there it provides for us of uh, the tendency of the human heart and perhaps our own tendencies in it. A snapshot of man's relationship to the truth. There's manipulation and calculation hypocrisy, resignation, but no real interest in the truth. I want to just, we'll look very quickly at uh, both the Jewish leaders and at Pilate to see the illustrations of this. But in the, in the Jewish leaders, there's hypocrisy and manipulation of just the ugliest kind. This was the culmination for them of a plot that had been unfolding for weeks. For us, it's been for months because of the way this series stretched out. But back in John chapter 11, after he had raised Lazarus from the dead, they were like, this has gone too far. If he keeps doing this, everybody will believe and then we'll really be in trouble. And so they said, uh, back in John 11... Verses 47 through 50, it said, The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Maybe you remember that. That's their concern, is that there's going to be this sort of unrest that rises up around this, uh, this renegade Jesus, and that the Romans are going to come Put their thumb on them. And then in verse 49, it says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. It goes on to say he really didn't know what he was talking about. That Jesus was going to die for the whole nation, in fact, for the whole world, in a way he didn't even understand. But what he was saying is, Better that we just get rid of this one troublemaker 
than to let his trouble come on all of us. So they began to plot his death. And what we read about in John 18, where they bring him to Pilate, is the culmination of this plot. And so they came to Pilate to use him, essentially, to bring their scheme to its conclusion. But as I said, we want to look for some reflection of ourselves in them, in the sense that we can be more interested in our own agenda than we are in the truth, even as people who claim to be, in a certain respect, custodians of the truth, as the church of Jesus Christ, that the truth has been revealed to us in the scriptures and in the person of Jesus and in in some sense, we regard ourselves as being a voice of truth in the world. And yet, we, like they, can become a little disinterested in the truth sometimes if the truth doesn't serve our own interests. We ought not to think we're not tempted in those same ways as anybody else, although hopefully not to the degree of the men we're reading about in this passage. But we want to see something of our reflection in them. But notice the hypocrisy. How as the people of God, as the people of God, they are conveniently selective in their application of God's word. Did you pick up on that? I mean, it's been it's been going on like as this story has unfolded. But they're just conveniently selective in their in their application of God's word. Look at verse 28 here, because it's, it's almost in every sentence that they speak here that their hypocrisy is revealed. In verse 28, uh, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but that they could eat, so they could eat the Passover. Now, were you paying attention last week? Like, they're seriously, they're, they're, they're seriously concerned. I don't know if they're serious or not, actually. But they say to him, they, they can't enter his headquarters so they won't be defiled so they can eat the Passover. They are, by uh, considerable forethought and effort, bringing an innocent man to death have held an illegal hearing, a trial, to do so. But they're concerned that being in the governor's headquarters might defile them. Lord. Verse 30. So Pilate, Pilate asked them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. They didn't answer the question. I hope you're astute enough to recognize that in somebody when you ask them a question and they don't answer the question. What did he do wrong? Hey, if he hadn't done anything wrong, we wouldn't have brought him to you. You know, Pilate says, go judge him yourself. But in other words, they, they don't have any charges to bring. You remember they didn't even call witnesses at his hearing. They, they, they made some allegations, some assertions, but they didn't even have witnesses. And Jesus said, why don't you call some witnesses? They, people heard me. I've taught openly. If there's anybody who would bring accusation against me, call them. And they slapped him for that. Who are you to answer back to us? 
because they're not interested in what witnesses could say. They're just interested in moving him along to his execution. Then in verse 31, Pilate says, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That is hypocrisy to the highest degree. Hypocrisy of the highest order. And and I'll tell you something, it gets me a little uh, exercised, so to speak, when uh, just when, when Christians are hypocritical. And I know, of course, having said that, I have the, I am quite capable of doing that myself. But but it seems to me, I, I think of this like, you know, who do you think is more detestable, just a lawless man or a corrupt lawman? You know, the, the police officer who's corrupt, who takes a bribe, who, who, who oppresses and abuses people by the law and by his power and authority. See, I, I find that to be a much more detestable Sin is more heinous than somebody who is just lawless. And I think of the people of God as being those entrusted by the king to rule with him on the earth, given authority to operate in the name of Jesus, and given revelation of his law in the scriptures to then turn around and use that for their own purposes, for manipulation and selfish interest is just detestable to me, even when I do it. And it ought to bring us to our knees, repenting before God to say, Oh Lord, forgive me when we see our own proneness to go there over and over and over again. And of course, it it is just somehow reaches its pinnacle, this hypocrisy, when down in verse 40 they cry out, not this man, but Barabbas, who's a robber, or as a footnote in the ESV says, an insurrectionist. Here it is, on no evidence at all, no specific charges, they are bringing Jesus to Pilate, essentially under allegations that he is an insurrectionist. He says he's a king. Pilate, you can't put up with that. You can't have that. The kind of chaos he's going to stir up. They come seeking that he'll be executed as an insurrectionist. And so they exchange him for an actual insurrectionist. One who has been convicted as a robber, a murderer. And just absolutely the height of hypocrisy. It's It's like God has just given them a microphone to, to, to just put their own sin and hypocrisy on record. And they will have no excuse. There you have it. Hypocrisy and manipulation. And there is that inclination in the human heart and even in the heart of the people of God. And then we see in Pilate, as I, as I described it, just calculation and resignation. Calculating in the sense that he's really... Like in this whole process, I think trying to figure out what is the most prudent, 
pragmatic option here for me? What, what action is going to be kind of the path of least resistance here? He's calculating in that sense. And just in the end, just resigned to what the Jews want to do with Jesus. Pilate and the Jews had kind of what you might call a complicated relationship. I mean, the Jews didn't make it easy for foreigners of any sort to rule over them. There, there, was, there was always just a, a little bit of rebellion in them. And so being governor of Judea was not a desirable appointment in general. I mean, when, when Pilate received those orders, he probably knew that there wasn't any reason to have a party and celebrate. You know, it's maybe like the, the school principal who gets assigned to the school that, you know, has uh, abysmally low you know, test scores and discipline problems, maybe violence, um, you know, just all, all kinds of just adversity and difficulty, just makes it difficult for that person to lead that school. And God bless them, there are good and honorable school principals who go and do it anyway and do it joyfully and obediently and faithfully and so forth. But they don't rejoice at the fact that that's their gig, probably, you know. But it's that sort of thing to be assigned as the governor of Judea because the Jews just regarded foreign rulers that way. But according to Jewish historians, Josephus and Philo, Pilate had stirred up conflict and protest on multiple occasions. And so just in the briefest of summary, on one occasion, the Jews held a sit-in protest in the streets around Pilate's house, and he kind of came out and threatened them, and then they called his bluff, and he backed down. Then another time, they had a dispute over Pilate's defilement of the holy, pay, holy place. Jewish leaders appealed to the emperor, and he essentially told Pilate he needed to back down again and, and, and uh, sort of grant their, uh, a measure of religious freedom to them. That was their practice um, and they conquered territories that they let people continue to exercise their worship in the way that they were accustomed to doing. And so there's another point of conflict where Pilate has to back off. And then another occasion, the Jews staged another protest in the streets. Pilate sent in soldiers who clubbed uh, some of the protest, uh, protesters to death. And so that's a bit of a PR problem for Pilate uh, in Judea. And so the point is, like, this is the relationship they have. And so Pilate had reason to be sort of calculating in this case. So what's the cost of this decision? Because these people aren't likely to take no for an answer very easily. And so you, you see how he's questioned them, why are you bringing them to me? What's, what's the charge? Well, we don't have any charges. Well, you do, deal with it yourself. Well, we can't. And then he goes out finally and says, I don't find any guilt in this man. And even so, he agrees to exchange him for a convicted criminal and let him, Jesus, go to the cross. He has a pretty good sense of what the truth is. But it's not worth it to walk in the truth. Now, those are just two snapshots there of the uh, sort of the default conditions. It's, again, this is not completely fully uh, illustrative of or doesn't illustrate fully 
Um, all the ways that this can play out in the heart of man. But it, it illustrates how steadfastly the human heart is inclined toward believing lies rather than the truth. In fact, in the case of the Jewish leaders, they themselves are lying. <laughs> but see, the underlying lie that they believe is somehow that they can determine for themselves what's good for them or what's good for the people. And that is the fatal error that man makes over and over and over again. And again, it's probably the, the, the point at which you and I have the greatest interest in this, in, in, in allowing it to be a mirror to see something of our own hearts. That we, like other people, want to define for ourselves what is good, even the things that God has said explicitly are not good for us. We want pleasure of the sort that we want it. We want to talk ourselves even to, to believing it's good for us. We want power and control over people. Even when that is not what we're given and it's not what's good for us. And now there are countless ways in which that is true. That what the way God has ordered humanity toward our good by his design, the way he created man, was ordered toward good. Sin caused it to be disordered and we live disorderly lives all the rest of the story. And our problem, our struggle continues to be um, again and again as people convicted of our own waywardness, repenting of that, uh, reordering our own steps, our own hearts, our own desires in alignment with the truth that Jesus has revealed in himself and in the scriptures that he points to what is ultimately and eternally good um, that he'll restore on this earth. Well, I will just conclude on that note and um, trust that the Holy Spirit will show us something of our own hearts, again, not at all to give us a burden that would weigh us down or to give us any sense of condemnation but rather to point us to our good. I, I cite from time to time uh, Deuteronomy in the first 11 chapters in particular, the number of times when they are, as the people of God, getting ready to occupy the promised land. He reviews the law with them and says, do it this way so that it may go well for you. I tell you this for your good always. He means repentance and obedience, conviction, I should say, and then repentance and obedience to be for our good. It is always an act of his grace and mercy toward us. His kindness leads us to repentance. And may it even now, 
as he shows us something of the inclination of our own hearts to seek our own desires to believe the lies that have been circulating for as long as humanity has been in existence. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you that your kindness leads to repentance and that you are merciful toward us by just showing us our own tendency to go astray and really our ceaseless tendency to desire things that are not good for us. Lord, would you teach us more and more what is good that we might delight in what is good and know it to be good all the days of our life. And Lord, would you use that experience in our own hearts and lives to reveal something of yourself to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.